Diego. I am John Kane, and this is Resistance Radio. I want to thank my listeners in New York City and in Washington, D.C., and for those who are listening wherever you are, whether you're using your smart speaker, hey, or if you're on Facebook. Uh, I don't live stream every show on Facebook, but I'm doing this one. So wherever you are, if you're catching this show, and whenever you're catching it, I want to thank you for... Uh, for giving me your ears for a little bit. I also need to ask you to give a little bit of something else. We, uh, we're closing out the year. Uh, WBAI uh, is usually in some, at some level of fundraising year-round, and we're trying to catch up on, uh, as you heard from Reggie, uh, we're trying to catch up on um, uh, our delinquency with our, uh, with our tower payments, our transmitter payments, uh, and some of our other rents. But even in Washington, we're, we're always in a, in a situation where we're trying to do whatever we can to, to raise money to provide these radio stations to you. And, and of course, these stations provide me space so I can speak to you. So, uh, again, let me uh, do a little bit of hawking for both stations. I want to uh, suggest that people go to the, the pledge line for WBAI in New York City at 212-209-2950. Or go online to give to WBAI.org. That's G-I-V-E, the number two, WBAI.org. And make your contribution. I mean, if you've, if you've given in the past, I'm asking you to give again. If you're already a BAI buddy, eh, maybe you can throw an extra five bucks on that, uh, on that monthly contribution that you make to the station. And, and it doesn't hurt for me if you, if you mention that you're upping your, uh, your subscription, if you want to call it that. Um, to benefit, uh, or, or in the name of Resistance Radio. If you are in Washington and you're catching this program, uh, I ask that you uh, go to WPFW Jazz and Justice's uh, pledge line, which is 202-588-9739, or go online to wpfwdc.org slash donate. Uh, again, same thing. Make a one-time donation. You can do a bit of a timed donation. Uh, make that pledge. Make that, that commitment. You can do a monthly, uh, a monthly donation. Become actually a member of the station. Uh, once you, I, I think it's like $25. Once you've contributed $25 uh, within a year's time, you, you essentially have bought your way into the station. So I'm asking you to become a member of the station. I'm asking you to, to support these radio stations and look, even if you're listening online, even if you're not listening to the actual radio stations, the, the brick-and-mortar radio stations, if you are listening on, uh, on, on Facebook or watching on Facebook, if you're catching this as a podcast, know that these two radio stations make this possible. Perhaps you've, you've never tuned into WBAI or WPFW in your life. Well, maybe you, you throw a few bucks at both stations for supporting these kinds of messages. You know, as, as, as we say about these stations, you're going to hear stuff you're not going to hear anywhere else. And these stations historically have provided uh, space. You know, we talk about land back. We talk about land acknowledgement. Well, these, these stations provide space for Native discourse and Native perspectives. Perspectives on issues that, uh, well, perspectives you've never heard on issues you might be familiar with. And, of course, I'm also going to introduce history and culture that I know you've never heard before. So... That's what these stations allow me to do, and that's why I can't stress enough how important it is that you support these listener-supported stations, and that's WBAI in New York, State, uh, in New York City. And again, that number is 212-209-2950, online at give2wbai.org. And in Washington, D.C., on Jazz and Justice Radio, WPFW, uh, the number is 202-588-9739, or online at wpfwdc.org slash donate. You know, when I first started doing this show uh, on WBAI, um, it was primarily a talkback show. And, and, of course, everything's changed since COVID. I don't make the trip to New York. Sometimes talkback's a little tough doing it remotely. Uh, you know, sound qualities can, can suffer in any number of ways. Um, so we don't do talk back that often. I, I hope to get back to it. I hope to start making that trip to, to New York and to, and to Washington to do some uh, live in-studio broadcasts. Uh, but we're not there yet. I, use, I, I was on radio um, 
back in my home area in the, in the Buffalo market, uh, I was buying time on commercial radio to do a show that I called Let's Talk Native. I have since turned that into a podcast, and my only radio presence right now is with WBAI and WPFW. So when I first got on WBAI, I didn't want to, to do the same show that I was doing back home, essentially. So I just simply called it Let's Talk. And I opened up the phone line so we could talk about anything. I'd present a topic. And in fact, <laughs> I was advised at the very beginning, you know, stick to a topic and don't let your callers get too far uh, afield on it. And I said, you know what? If somebody wants to call me up and know that they're talking to probably a unique voice and, and, a, and a unique perspective, I don't really care what they want to talk to me about. So that was the show. That was it. It was talk back. And we talked about anything. And I had, look, I had the regular callers and I had some, some real outfield, you know, I don't mean just left field. I mean, right field. I mean, you know, over the fence people uh, calling me up and, and offering their opinions and, uh, and eliciting mine. Um, but again, that, that was pre-COVID. So, I eventually shifted the name of this show to Resistance Radio because one of the things that, that, that I always need to clarify is that I'm not a, a classic radio show host. And if you listen to me, you probably know that. I say um a lot. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not classically trained in radio. But uh, I have been an activist. And, I, and so I describe myself as an activist with a, with a microphone. And, and I use the microphone for activism. It's, it's what I do. But I need to talk sometimes about what that means to be an activist. Because, look, we have an aging population that listens to, to these stations oftentimes, and we have to give the best possible advice we can to the people who are coming up behind us. I'm not getting any younger. I, I'm turning 63 years old ne uh, next week. So, I mean, it's I'm not getting any younger. So I've started to becoming a... To, be more aware of my, my own mortality here as, uh, as, as I age out myself here. And I know that we have to have young people coming up behind us because we already have a mindset. My generation, and, and frankly, the folks older than me, we already have a mindset about, well, well, this is how you get things done. Well, if you're an activist, you need to kind of break the rules a little bit. I mean, you need to be innovative. You need to figure out how you accomplish your goals. And it may not be the path that's been laid down before you, either by those people who came before you or the powers that be. They say, well, if you want to affect change, you got to do it at the ballot box. Well, you know, I'm not a big fan of that. <laughs> and or if you want to affect uh, change, you've got to, you know, give political contributions. You've got to hire a consultant. You've got to hire lawyers. You've got to, you know, muster up 5,000 people, 10,000 people, half a million people to walk in the street like we did for the, you know, the, the climate march in New York. Um, look, I'll participate, but I'm not one of those guys that's going to organize some, some large, you know, physical movement, million man march kind of stuff. No, I, that's, I'll participate. And, and I don't need to even lead the charge. I don't need to, need to be on the front line. I'll participate and support. But that's not the way I try to get things done. And so what I wanted to spend some time talking about today is alternatives to, um, to making change. And I'm only suggesting the paths that I've taken as to demonstrate that they weren't the paths that were offered up. I, I didn't follow somebody else's uh, rules about getting changes made at the federal level, at the state level, uh, societally, or anything else. So I'm going to tell some of the stories, and, and you've heard some of them, but I'm trying to frame them in a way that is suggesting to you, the listening audience, and especially if, if you are a younger listener or if you are advising younger listeners, part of it is you got to throw out the rule book, rule book a little bit. I'm, I'm not saying break the law necessarily. Um, I'm all for nonviolent direct action, which may or may not be legal. And you know what? This station warns us as, as producers that we cannot do calls to action. That's, uh, that's kind of one of the rules. And, and, and it's probably, I mean, it could be FCC rules, Rod. Right? Reggie probably knows more about that than I do. But I'm not promoting a call to action on a specific thing here. I'm telling people that we're in a rough spot. And all the roads got us here. And I don't care which road you were on, 
whether you thought you were follow, you know, having this altruistic life or whatever else, we're all in the same spot. The spot that we're at, which is in a pretty tenuous place, all the roads we took brought us here. So we've got to come up with some new roads to get us out of here. And look at, like I said, I know there's a whole lot of people who, who are going to tell you, well, this is how you get things changed in Albany or, or Washington, and this is how you get things changed here. And I'm going to say, tell you, I never picked up that roadmap. Whatever that roadmap was that told me how to affect change, I didn't follow it. Uh, I know what other people were suggesting. You know, and the perfect example to this is what I've talked about over the last few weeks, which is, which is the mascot issue. Um, New York State issued a statewide ban uh, for, for its public schools uh, to using Native people and imagery for, for school mascots. I mean, it's a statewide ban. But New York did it different than other states, and there's a reason for that. And there's a reason that I pressed the path that the state took to do so. First of all, let me say, there are like seven other states that have passed laws prohibiting Native mascots. So they, they actually went through their state legislature. I'm, I'm not a big fan of the New York state legislature. I encourage people to, to push that issue. And there was, you know, there was a, a state assembly or state uh, a Senate, uh, senator that, was, that had a bill. Her name was Biagi. Um, some of you probably, probably know, know this person. And she, she introduced a bill for uh, banning uh, Native mascots. Didn't really go anywhere. I mean, it, it got read. I mean, it got passed around and that kind of stuff. And I encourage people, as I was fighting my old high school, and some of the folks in that town, the minority, trust me on this, a few of those folks in that town stood with me. They really were pressing that, that, that path as they were fighting Cambridge directly. But what happened in that battle with the school board in, in Cambridge, New York, was they, they retired the mascot and then they unretired it. And then five families there went to the New York State um, Department of Education, or Education Department, and I said, New York State Education Department, and said, this school board is acting arbitrarily and capriciously, and they are abusing their discretionary authority. The Commissioner of Education, Dr. Betty Rosa, agreed with them, and she told Cambridge Central School, you need to retire your mascot. You need to go back to the resolution where you, that you passed to retire, uh, retire your mascot. And, and she, in her ruling, she said, it wasn't just that they flip-flopped. It wasn't just that they had all these reasons for retiring it and then offered no reasons for, for unretiring it. Uh, that, that was part of the argument. But she said, even if they hadn't done that, she thinks this school board promoting a native mascot in, in its, back in the day or today is abusing its discretionary authority. So that gave me a different cue. Uh, I, look, I don't get along with, the, with state politicians very, at all. Now, but this is an agency that should not be mired in politics. In fact, usually these commissioners of, uh, of these education departments and other various commissions within states, um, they get seated and those commissioners and those people that are part of these agencies kind of transcend the political divide. Not always, but sometimes. But when Dr. Rosa issued her order telling this one school, based on this one petition in the, from this one school district, that they had to, uh, they had to stop using the, their Indian's mascot, I started pressing her. And I started pressing her directly in, in letters and uh, you know, the, emails to NYSED but also in the, in the media to say, you did this to one school. You have that authority. You know you had the authority. And you had to lay out that authority in your ruling. And in fact, <laughs> they would be sued. And in state Supreme Court, Judge McGinty would, would, would affirm uh, Dr. Rosa's uh, order. So I kept pressing this issue, saying, look, you can ban all of these. And, and look, even some of my allies didn't think that they were going to see the Department of Education do the statewide ban. They saw what other states were doing. And they also thought because other states had done it through their legislature, that was another reason why 
the Department of Education wouldn't do it. But we pressed and pressed and pressed, and last month the Department of Education issued, the Department of Education, mind you, not the legislature, issued this statewide ban. So there's a couple of things I need to say about that. Clearly the, the direction that we took this and the path we took, and, and, yeah, and, and it was helped out by the activists in the, my old hometown that pushed this, but you gotta follow you know, what the chain of events are and realize where the momentum is. I didn't think there was any real momentum at the state, in the state legislature. And, and my relationship with the governor of this state is not one that's, uh, you know, that's warm and fuzzy. So I'm, thinking I'm gonna press on, on NYSED. And so that's what we did. But here's the, here's the thing that I wanna say about it specifically. And, and I've mentioned it before. I didn't do this with 10,000 people. I didn't do this with a lobbying effort. I didn't do this with a lawyer or a consultant. I didn't do this with permission from the Seneca Nation where I lived or any of the, the, the Mohawk councils from, from, from my own ancestry. I didn't look for Mohawk permission, Seneca permission, Mohican permission, uh, NCAI, uh, you know, the National Congress of the American Indian uh, permission. I used some of their statements to make my argument and I advocated in this situation simply as a, uh, a grad of the school. I graduated from the school a long time ago, 1978. But I did it as an individual, and I, a native individual pushing this issue. So I bring this up because there are several examples of making a big change. And trust me, a statewide ban in a, in a state the size of New York State is a big deal. And, and I'm not claiming singular responsibility or, or, or credit for the change. But I saw a path and I pressed it and because of the work of myself and others, I, I don't think Dr. Rosa had a choice. I don't think the New York State Department of Education had a choice. And that's what we try to do. We try to get, create a situation where the choices are limited as far as what an agency can do or an, an institution, whatever that institution is, public or private. So what I'm, what I'm suggesting to you who are listening is the rule book doesn't always apply and it doesn't always work. Sometimes the, the rule book they hand you for affecting change is intentionally bureaucratic. And it isn't that they just put you know, stone walls in your way. They just kind of put you know, any number of obstacles that, and they tell you, oh yeah, there's a way around that. Yeah, this, this is how you go through there. Oh, there's public policy, there's, there's uh, you know, public meetings, there's hearings, there's, there's letter writing, there's petitions, there's all this stuff. And you can do all that. And, and I encourage people to always have multiple strategies when they're trying to affect change. So whether you're trying to change a mayor in a specific town like New York or Washington, and we have. I mean, look, many of these cities who adopted Indigenous Peoples Day in place of Columbus Day, those were small campaigns that, that, that only a few of us were involved in to make that happen. Some of those statues that came down, well, <laughs> we convinced some of the powers to be to take them down, but some of them we just took down ourselves. So, I mean, there are different paths that you can take to, to accomplish the same thing. And that's what I'm encouraging here. I don't know every solution to every problem, but I think when you're involved in promoting a change, or, or an issue, you've got to explore multiple options. And like I said, you've got to be innovative. I mean, I, look, I had a meeting with the Obama White House over a, a, a one-time tax that they were trying to impose on Native peoples. It was tied to children's health insurance and tobacco. Yeah. How the hell did I get a meeting with the White House? Well. I didn't have any special right or privilege. In fact, when I met with the senior policy advisor to Obama, she said, you know, there are 474 at the time, I think, uh, federally recognized tribes. And I said, and I'm not one of them. I'm just a native guy. And, and I went down with a couple of other guys and I said, I'm just a native guy who knows that there's a problem that you have to acknowledge. So how did I get a meeting there? Well, perseverance, you know, trying multiple ways. I, I actually tried to use you, um, uh, are you a senator from uh, uh, Kirsten Gillibrand's office? Eh, she kind of bailed. I tried to use a congressman's office, Brian Higgins from Western New York. Eh, he kind of bailed. But I kept, kept at it, and, and, the, and the meeting happened. We've, 
you look, we've taken land back from the 70s, 1970, uh, 1973, a group of Mohawks that weren't necessarily all Mohawks from New York. <laughs> we, we took land back, and that community exists today. The community is called Gunyange. We didn't follow the path that was laid down before us. We made our own path. So that's, I mean, as we end this, this year and we enter a new year where some of us are going to have to make some, some really tough choices on how we deal with where we find ourselves in everything from, you know, social justice and social conflicts to climate change to, you know, political strife domestically and abroad. We've got to figure out where we stand on issues. And sometimes we need to stand on something that is a, a, a foreign affairs issue. And we got to stand on it here. So how do we do that? I mean, look, we, we, we got half a million people to, walk, to, to march in New York City you know, all those years ago uh, for, for climate. And I think a lot of people looked at that march as successful. Well, that was just a start. That was about trying to bring people together and, and demonstrate some unity. And I think we did. Have we fixed, uh, fixed the climate problem? Oh, hell no. We got a lot of work to do. In fact, <laughs> we've got farther to go today than we did when we did the climate march, just because of the momentum for, you know, for carbon and you know, production and you know, fossil fuels and all that other stuff. We've got a lot of work to do. And we have to figure out how we're going to do that work. And look, we should write. We should speak. We should carve out spaces on great radio stations like WBAI and, and WPFW. We need to do, we should be writing books. We should be writing letters to the editor. We should try to get column inches as, as not just as letters to the editor, but opinion pieces more broadly. We need to have relationships with, with writers of these major publications. We need to push the mainstream media to stop settling and to, and to sometimes cover an issue, not because it's going to, buy a bunch of, uh, you know, subscriptions or, or, uh, or newspaper sales or subscriptions to CNN or whatever, but because it's the right thing to do. We've, we've got to stay motivated. And the most important thing is that we have to encourage and empower those people coming behind us. Look, I think we did some good work in, in, in my lifetime. I got to admit, as I approach 63 years old, <laughs> I thought we'd be farther along. I did. And, and I'm not condemning the work that I've done and so many of other people that I've either stood with or supported. I thought we'd be farther along. So, yeah, we're in a tough spot. And we've got a lot of work to do. And, and here's the thing. Things are probably going to get worse before they get better. So, so some of what our mobilization, some of our activism has to do with mitigating the fallout of, of strife that is going to be on the, on the rise. Look, I'm not trying to sound like, you know, I'm promoting Armageddon here or, or being a doomsayer or anything else, but I'm just saying we need to have allies. And, and I'm not saying we've got to put together, <laughs> again, the classic, well, we need to uh, file for a 501c3. We get, have to get a not-for-profit organization together so we can fundraise. You can do that. By all means, do that. But just know that there are other ways of accomplishing goals. I mean, and, and we look, we, we see it all the time. We, we do. I mean, we, we see how some people have taken to the streets to affect change and everything from battling gentrification and, and you know, greening of our environments and, and that kind of stuff. And some of it isn't building parks. Some of it is planting milkweed. I mean, so there's any, I mean, there's a full scale of, of actions that we can be involved in. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm breaking the rules. I'm, I'm, I'm putting out a call to action. Not a specific one, just a general one, saying that we got to do stuff. And I really do applaud WBAI and WPFW for Look, this is, a, this is an old medium for, for communication. Radio, I mean, we're talking fireside chats with FDR here. This is an old medium. But these stations have, have tried to stay relevant 
when everything else became about capitalism and commercialism and all that other stuff, these guys have tried to maintain being on the air with your support and almost your support only. It makes the, these radio stations unique. And we're talking about New York City and Washington, D.C. here. I mean, this is not a small market. And the market that we're, that we're feeding here is a major market for change. So I got to ask, I got to ask if you're listening in New York, support WBAI. In fact, if you're listening online, support WBAI and WPFW. But if I'm asking you to call the pledge line for WBAI, and that's 212-209-2950. I mean, we're, we have what they're calling a tower fund, but whether it's the tower fund or a rent for our studios or, you know, or just generally trying to fund operating a radio station in New York City. It's no small undertaking. It's, not, it's no small undertaking. And we've got a lot of moving parts, and we need you to grease those wheels. So, uh, again, 212-209-2950, or go online to give to WBAI.org and support New York's probably only major listener-supported radio station. And I say major because... WBAI has an incredible history, a history of answering the call for social justice. And, you know, we, we can talk about past glory and that kind of stuff, but, you know, there are those of us that are still doing it. And we're doing it by diversifying how we get to you. So, yeah, I'm on Facebook. I'm, you know, I'm on, uh, I'm on social media. I, I put videos up on YouTube. I'm, I'm doing podcasts, of, even of, the, of this show. Because we need to have an, you know, a shotgun approach. We've, we've got to try this in every, by every means possible. If you're listening in Washington, D.C., on Jazz and Justice Radio, WPFW, again, please go to the pledge line, 202-588-9739, and show that you care. I mean, look, we're oftentimes asked, well, how do I help? I mean, and for all the things that are going on in the world, I mean, you know, what can I do to affect change? I'll tell you what you can do. You can donate to these two stations because these stations are a part of, of the very work that I do. I'm an activist with a microphone, but this microphone is, is connected to these, to these two radio stations. Yeah, I can still do podcasts, and I can rely on, as, as Michael G. always calls it, the narrow casting that is, that is being done on the Internet. But these two stations provide me the opportunity to broadcast. That means... Put the word out everywhere so, so people don't just tune us in on purpose. Sometimes they tune us in by accident. They're driving in their car, and they, and, they, and they hit search on the radio, and all of a sudden they hear something that's, wait a second, what was that? That's what we try to do. NPR talks about the driveway moments. Well, we try to get the driving down the road moments when somebody you know, hits search on the radio, and all of a sudden they hear something that they never heard before, not just driveway moments. So, again, if you're listening in Washington, Go to their pledge line, WPFW's pledge line at 202-588-9739 or go online to WPFWDC.org slash donate. Look, for either one of these stations, we would love you guys to do a monthly contribution. You know, submit your credit card or your checking account information. It'll come out like it'll come out like your Netflix subscription or your Disney Plus subscription. But you know what? <laughs> We're going to give you more reliable information than you're going to get on Netflix or Disney+. Plus. So, look, I am extremely grateful for the opportunity to reach out to the public in New York City without, frankly, without having to travel there every week like I used to. I hope to do some more of that again. I'm, I'm incredibly grateful to be able to reach whatever portion of the Washington, D.C. listening audience we get. I'm glad to have them. And, of course... The, you know, this enables me to, to do um, a Facebook live stream or YouTube video sometimes of, of, of these very shows. And look, I'm not just asking you to donate. That's, look, that's how we operate. That's, uh, you know, the only reason we could, way we can be on the air is when, when listeners support the station. But I got to tell you something else we need you to do. We need you to spread the word. We need, if, you're, if there's only one program on the grid of WPFW and WBAI that you think is important, then spread the word and tell, and, and tell your friends, tell your family. 
And and look, even if your friends and family aren't in New York or Washington, you, this can be heard out, uh, you know, via the internet. Let your smart speaker play WBAI, Alexa, play WPFW, and and there you'll have it. And you're going to have a radio experience like no other, because you're going to have content like this, and you're going to have, you know, just such a diverse amount of, of producers. Some of us are volunteer producers. And, and some have been in radio for a very long time. I've, you know, look, I've been doing this, I don't know, for you know, 15 or 20 years now, not, not just here in w, on WBAI and, and a certainly a shorter time on WPFW. But, but WPFW has always carved out a space for a native voice, as, as long as I can remember. So here we are. And what I'm asking you to do is to support these two stations. We're, we are winding down the year. Um, I prob probably have just a few shows left uh, for the month of December for, for 2022. And like I said, we are going to see some interesting things in the next year. I mean, every year has brought us just sometimes incredible, remarkable, or unbelievable news. And most of it not good. So we can only anticipate that we're going to see more you know, natural disasters, more devastation. We're going to see more violence throughout the world. I mean, this, this Ukraine-Russian thing, I mean, wherever you stand on all this stuff, we know that this violence is, is untenable. But we also don't know, as individuals, what we can do to, to, you know, to affect change. And that's what I wanted this show to be about. That's why I, I, I say, look, throw out the rule book. I mean, throw it away. You know, back in the 90s, and, and we've been battling New York State over, to, over taxes, especially tobacco and fuel. We have smoke shops with, and gas stations on, the, on our territories here in uh, upstate and in, in, in Long Island, uh, New York. And we sell tobacco products and motor fuel without New York State tax on it. And that has been a point of contention for, you know, since the early 90s. And we've had major conflicts with the Cuomo administration, then the Pataki administration, then, you know, the, the Patterson administration, and then another Cuomo administration. And we're still having conflicts with the, with the Hochul administration. But we have affected change. And, and again, I'll give you an example. When George Pataki beat Mario Cuomo, which you know, seemed like, you know, a life, you know, lifetime ago, and it is a lifetime ago for some, for the young people that I'm hoping to, to encourage with this, um, and it was an unlikely win. I mean, the idea that a, that a Republican wins the, the governorship of New York and, and especially one that's not from downstate, he, he was upstate a little bit. But when he becomes the governor of the state of New York, he doesn't know that Native people are a problem. <laughs> and we are. We're a problem because we aren't New Yorkers. We aren't New York State residents. We aren't, we aren't, many of us don't even consider ourselves Americans. So... It, for all of whatever preparedness George Pataki had to be the governor of the state of New York, Native issues was not one of them. And we had major conflicts, conflicts with them. We had, I mean, we literally had knocked down drag outs. And, and we got more knocked down and dragged around than, than, than doing the knocking down and dragging, drag around by the New York State Police, right down near Onondaga, right on Interstate 81. For all the world to see, because there was news media there. They, they caught it all. They caught the abuse that we experienced. We, it was all the negative public, you know, publicity that, that George Pataki and his crew were getting. And we weren't necessarily fighting it as, quote-unquote, the Seneca Nation. Look, there, there were um, nation officials, you know, Oneidas and leadership and Onondaga leadership and, you know, a few, uh, you know some, there, there were some recognized, uh, federal, federally recognized Native leaders involved. But the big push was coming from the grassroots of, of, of Akwesasne and the grassroots of Seneca Territory and the grassroots of the, of the territories in Long Island. Yeah, like I said, there was leadership involved, but we were there as Native people coming together. We, we actually formed a whole other organization. And, and, you know, this is one of the paths that we took. We formed the League of First Nations. At that time, I was a part of what was considered the First Nations Dialogue Team. I was doing PR. I'm anything but a skilled PR person. I didn't, I didn't go to school for that. <laughs> but this is what we were doing. And we got a Republican governor of the state of New York 
just turn on a dime. He went from sending state police, you know, and, and, and being involved with, with some very aggressive tactics against us to giving us a call, not the Seneca leadership, not the Mohawk leadership, giving us, giving us a call as the League of First Nations and part of the dialogue. He says, I'm coming to Buffalo and I'm going to do a press conference at the Erie County Historical Society. And we're thinking, yeah, this is going to be great. Yeah, now what? Now what shoe's going to drop? I mean, we're cynical. It's, it's, a, it's a part of our nature. <laughs> so we go to the, the Erie County Historical Society, and we're standing there. And, and look, there are a lot of Native people there. And George Pataki walks in. He walks by, and he, uh, he taps my, my buddy on the shoulder, who's actually one of the co-chairs of this, um, this League of First Nations. He says, I think you're going to like what we had to say. And of course, you know, we do the proverbial <laughs> bullshit. But uh, uh, yeah, we, we said, all right, let's see what he's got to say. He steps up to the podium and he does. He just announces that as the executive of the state of New York, he is no longer going to pursue a policy of trying to enforce New York state tax law on the sovereign nations within the state of New York. I mean, look, we we're, were kind of bowled over <laughs> because we didn't expect that, that flip. But again, we didn't have lawyers. Some of the nations did, but we as an organization that was really at, at the forefront of this, we didn't have lawyers. We didn't have lobbyists. And I got to tell you, I, years later, I had an interview with uh, George Pataki's um, attorney, state attorney general, uh, Dennis Vaco. He, he was actually defending Native people at this point. He was out of public service and he was uh, working privately. And he was defending a couple of Native people who had tobacco seizures. So I had him on my show. And he said flat out, we were advising George Pataki to stay the course. We, we weren't telling him to, to, to turn. We weren't telling him to do the 180. We, we all were advising, advising him to stay the course that he had our backs against the wall. Well, of course, we never felt like our backs were against the wall, but his advisors did. His lawyers did. But the PR wasn't great. And, you know, so, again, this was a different strategy. We got a... We got, a governor of one of the most powerful states in the United States to, to flip. And we didn't follow the path that some of the legal advisors to the Oneida Nation was saying, you know, saying, I mean, there were a lot of people, Native people said, well, we're going to fight, we're going to fight, we're going to fight, and then we're going to make the best possible deal we can. And we said, oh, hell no. We're, we're not fighting this to make a better deal. We're fighting this to reject New York State's authority over our territory. Black and white, cut and dry. And I think even many of the people who were standing with us really thought that when push came to shove, we were going to have to make a deal. And we didn't. There were some Native leaderships that wanted to, Oneida, Onondaga. Some of them wanted to, they wanted to enter into compacts with the state. In fact, part of the, the knockdown dragout we had out in Onondaga territory was opposition to what the, the Onondaga leadership was recommending. So, again, often, too often... <laughs> When we are trying to fight for something, sometimes it feels like we got to fight our own people to do it. But again, what I'm trying to express here, and, and I'm hoping I'm doing it with some of the examples I'm laying out, laying out here. What I'm trying to suggest here is we have to be innovative. We have to be persistent. And we have to educate ourselves. We have to understand why it is we're fighting for what we're fighting for. I, I used to say, Sovereignty is not our defense. Sovereignty is what we defend. But we have to know how to defend our right to our autonomy. This is, you know, and, and look, what I'm suggesting here isn't just for Native people. Yeah, we're fighting, we're not fighting for civil rights. We're fighting for our distinct rights, for rights we never gave up. And, you know, look, if you're um, an American descendant of, of, of slavery, you're trying, to, um, you're, you're trying to avail yourself to the freedoms that America offers. That's not necessarily what we're fighting for. Although I have to say, one thing I, I came to mind when I was thinking about this ADOS, this uh, American descendants of slavery, that's not just black people. Native people were the first slaves, by the way. And, and, I, and so the, the, the trouble is, it is really hard to get Native people to admit part of their families were, were enslaved. And, you know, so, but, but anyway, that's a, that's a side issue, but it's one I'll, I'll tackle in the future. Because, you know, look, as, as 
we need to fight and find the common ground so we can be allies. Even if ultimately our final goals are not exactly the same. And, and our, our issues and experiences aren't exactly the same. But the more we tell our stories and the more we offer the different perspectives, see what we're trying to do and what I try to do with this program is not convince people to see things my way, but to convince people that there are people that see things my way. I'm trying to suggest to people that whatever perspective you have, you have to understand it's not the only one. And it's not necessarily the right one. And I'm not saying mine's the right one. We all have, you know, we all have the right to our opinions. We don't have the right to our own uh, you know, altered facts, though. <laughs> so, but those facts oftentimes affect us differently. What, how we've been impacted by, by everything, from, from slavery to manifest destiny to uh, you know, capitalism, industrialization, you know, uh, progress, we're all affected by it. But we all had different roles, and we all had you know, different impacts sometimes along the way. I mean, Native people are the, are the ones who have experienced the longest period of genocide that the world's ever seen. And, and I say Native people, I don't mean just Native people here. I think Indigenous people are under constant you know, attack. But it's not to say that because a, a black man doesn't qualify here as an Indigenous person, you know, at least from a definition standpoint, that we don't have an, an extreme or a tremendous amount of common ground. We do. I mean, we were, we were both enslaved. We both fought for that freedom of slavery. We, you know, Native people, Native territories, oftentimes served as part of the Underground Railroad, sometimes the first leg of that track. Harriet Tubman, and I, I look, I saw the movie, it's great, and it makes it sound like she, she had all this divine intervention that helped her be this successful abolitionist and leading so many people to freedom. Yeah, well, we can debate the divine intervention thing, but I will say, if you believe it was divine intervention, it manifested itself in some of the uh, uh, help she got from Native people. Never get, ne never gets mentioned in the movie. And, you know, and, that's, and that's the thing about Hollywood, right? The Lincoln, Lincoln with Daniel Day-Lewis. Oh, they all, they all wanted to create this, you know, this narrative about what a troubled person he was and, and how much he struggled and, and, and all of the adversity he had faced. But they never thought they could include the fact that he signed the execution order for 39 Dakotas to be hung by the neck, an execution that, that took place the day after Christmas. And, you know, I mean, you didn't think that was relevant? In, and this is 1862, day after Christmas, 1862. Now, that may not automatically jump out at you, but if you think about it, <laughs> the Emancipation Proclamation would be you know, proclaimed a week later in January of, of 1863. So this great emancipator was also the great executioner. Sign the orders. So, and, and I mentioned that because th that's part of the, um, and that's, that's just history, that's just matter of fact. But if you don't have a perspective about how, that, how history in general um, uh, has treated you or has impacted you, that little nugget might be might not, might not be something you were ever aware of. You may not be aware of the role that Native people played in the Underground Railroad or the the, the coming together of uh, of descendants of, of of slaves or or people who were escaping slavery and Native people. So there's a reason that we have to come together, even if our ultimate goals may be a little bit divergent. You know. Civil rights, 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 you know, prescribed by America for some, but rights, frankly, that America never had the right to infringe upon um, for non-Americans, for others. So, again, my, my message here for this, this program was about being innovative and, and about creating different pathways for success as we try to combat 
so much of the adversity that that is only going to increase, folks. Like I said, we're in, a, we're in a tough spot. So some of what we have seen isn't going to get better for a while. So we need to hold our, you know, hold our loved ones closer. We need to expand that circle of, uh, of friendships a little bit wider. And we've got to consider some different alternatives. And, you know, and the, some of those alternatives are going to be the old ones. Some of those, those pathways are going to be the old ones. Yes, you know, you know hit up some politicians. I, I've used that. That's, that's been part of my strategy. It's just not, I don't go to a politician and ask them to affect change. I'm usually trying to elicit something out of them that I'm going to use someplace else. I mean, that's kind of the way I, I work. I mean, I have literally drafted a letter, went to Albany, met with a couple of state senators on New York State's taxation of Native, uh, of, of native commerce. And I asked them if they would petition or, or ask the New York State Department of Revenue uh, what is their stated policy towards taxing Native people on Native-to-Native -native trade and the sale of Native products. And they said, yes, they would, they would do that. I actually drafted the letter that they signed. So how does that happen? Well, you make it happen. So that's what I'm trying to suggest here. I mean, look, look I, I can list some of the things that I th feel that I accomplished. And it's not about bragging rights. Because most of what I did, I didn't do it the way that somebody else laid out for me. That's what's, what we need to you know, embrace. Pathmaking. Innovation persistence, and not accepting that, that a door is closed. So whether that's a door to the White House, and I'm not talking about these, these, these big you know, Native American or um, executive tribal summits or something like that, that like Biden just had or Obama used to have. I'm not interested in posing in front of the White House Christmas tree. Nah, no, I'm not, not at all. But I am interested in, frankly, using a politician's words against them, using a policy or, 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 you know, or a strategy that, that, that they brag about and using it against them, or using them to move them, not necessarily against them, but using their own words to move them. Because it gets very, very difficult, very difficult to state a case that is diametrically opposed to you know, the national interest of the United States. So you've, you've, we've got to be innovative. And that is really what I'm trying to say here. And, and, and again, I, I've got to, I got to bring it home here. That is what WBAI and WPFW have been about. I mean, it's, it's jazz and justice radio in, in Washington, D.C. And in, in WBAI's history, its legacy of activism and social justice is, you know, you know, is, is almost unsurpassed. So I got to ask you again to support these radio stations. I got to ask you to, to help us, you know, close out this 2022 um, with, with some decent fundraising. So if you're listening in New York again, the, the pledge line is 212-209-2950. I'll say it again, 212-209-2950. Online, you can, you can make your contributions, and you can just follow the prompts, and you can do that by going to give2wbai.org. That's G-I-V-E, the number two, W-B-A-I.org. You can become a BAA buddy. You can make a contribution in, uh, of any, any number of ways. You know, and, of course, there's no limit to, to how small or how large your contribution can be. If you had a good year, even as so many people didn't, and coming out of COVID-19, if you somehow benefited from that adversity, then you owe something back. And this is a way to do it. If you're wondering how do you, how do you help, how do you help social justice issues? Well, this is one way. You support WBAI or WPFW Jazz and Justice Radio. And you can call WPFW's pledge line at 202-588-9739 or go online to wpfwdc.org slash donate. And you can follow the prompts there. Make a one-time donation. Be, make a monthly donation. And look, like I said, if you've donated in the past, hey, we're, we're going to ask you to do it again. 
If you're already a monthly subscriber, if you will, if you're an, a, a monthly contributor, maybe you can throw an extra five bucks on there. That's what we're asking. And we're asking, and again, I, sometimes I feel like I gotta say this, and you know, this isn't guilt talking or anything else. I don't get any of that money, folks. It is going for the operation of these radio stations. Because without these radio stations, I couldn't be on the air. I couldn't broadcast. I can still narrowcast. I, I can still send out a podcast, and I can still be on what is called internet radio, which is almost an oxymoron, I guess. But um, look, and I know the internet, you can listen to these radio stations on the internet. But without the radio stations, you're not going to listen to these radio stations on the internet. So again, I ask that you support these, these stations. Um, and you know what? Don't just support them. Criticize them. Shape them. Well, you know, when I'm talking about the things that we need to do to affect change, I'm asking you to, to help affect change of the stations too. Offer your, uh, your advice and your criticisms, your suggestions. If somebody out there has a great, great way that WBAI and WPFW could never have financial struggles again, please <laughs> make that suggestion. If there's things that you think that we can do that will reach the public more, more than what we've done, again, this is an old medium. And oftentimes, using an old medium, it's hard to change. And, and I know that WBAI and WPFW are stuck in some, some ruts that, that, are that are sometimes, you know, just in, you know, in, in endemic to, to radio. But there's ways out of all that stuff. So donate to the stations, offer suggestions, offer criticisms. Look, you can reach me on Facebook. Uh, this show is Resistance Radio with John Kane. That's the, the group page. I'm, I'm all ears. I'm open to suggestions. I, and I ask people on Facebook especially, offer your comments. Tell me what I got wrong. Tell me what I got right. Give me your examples of the things that you've experienced that correlate to some of what I'm talking about. Or you know what? Just say something. Give me an idea. Tell me, tell me that, you know, that you wish I would cover this issue or that issue. I'll tell you that when I will or why I won't, but I'll, but I'll, I'll respond to you. But that's what we're trying to do here. So again, please support WBAI in, in New York City and WPFW in Washington, D.C. I am John Kane, and this is Resistance Radio. Now wait. Oh, oh.